0: Welcome to the Blue Earth Podcast, brought to you by the Connecticut Scuba Academy. I'm your host, John Sherburn, and you can find our show on Twitter at Blue Earth Pod. Today, I'm speaking with Peter Solomon, a teacher at the Connecticut Sound School, a regional vocational high school that focuses on aquatic education in the state of Connecticut. Yeah, I uh, so I want to talk, obviously, about the Sound School, about the work you guys do. Uh, I think first I want to start with the school's background in general for people that have no idea what it is have never heard of it. Uh, what do you guys do? How did it start? Um, just give me some background information.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the Sound School itself was founded in 1981 by a man named George Foote, who had just kind of like this vision for like this alternative hands-on approach to education uh, to reach a different subset of school, uh, students. And, and they actually started with just like a faculty of five. Uh, and it was originally a New Haven uh, Public School of Choice. Um, New Haven Public Schools is a pretty big district uh, in Connecticut. So one of our, probably our four largest uh, cities in Connecticut. Uh, in 1994, the Sound School was reassigned as a regional vocational aquaculture center. Uh, that made us the largest comprehensive aquaculture center in Connecticut, um, one of the largest in the country. Um, what that means is we offer all of those core academics, but then we also offer agriculture, science and technology education,
0: focusing on aquaculture, marine trades and agriculture. That's awesome. Yeah. So I want to ask about, as you said, the kind of core requirements. How do you guys appro- do you approach that from an aquatic lens or do you kind of have the separation?
1: Yeah. Um- I mean, the, we, we have to answer to certain requirements, but yes, there, there is this theme uh, that really does run throughout uh, the school. And so uh, we do try and connect as much as possible um, across our classrooms and across our curriculums, uh, but then it is part of those meeting those graduation requirements. Uh, so there is that English class, there's those math classes, uh, you know, statistics, we have AP English, you know, we have foreign languages, and that's where usually we just refer to those as our core, uh, core uh, academic programs and then we put aside our marine science and tech as our aquaculture and agriculture science and technology classes that meet that ASTE uh descriptor that I mentioned before
0: all right so yes yeah, so that's co- those are co- it's 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 you have core requirements that when you can you relate it but then you the ele- all the electives are uh ocean based that's
1: yeah, so instead of taking just freshman science, you take aquaculture science, and we focus on sampling in the environment, looking at water quality indicators and in watersheds, uh, getting comfortable. Uh, and then you slide into technology. You get comfortable learning on the waterfront, team building activities, how to operate vessels safely uh, and operate yourself safely in, in those kind of high risk, high hazard environments around the water. Uh, so the kids learn how to tie the knots, they learn how to handle the boats. Uh, they learn how to move and launch the boat safely and, and all those skills that go alongside those. That's
0: awesome. So do you guys, are some of those activities done in tandem with different um, organizations locally? I know you guys work with Connecticut Scuba Academy. So can you talk about whether it's with us and with anyone else, What how how you guys keep, don't laugh at this pun, it's going to be really bad, how you keep the, the whole school afloat? <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, so community partnerships and industry partners is huge, right? Um, part of that vocational model is really helping kids develop these authentic, relevant skills to their careers. And that means we have to work closely with people who work in those fields to make sure we're providing the appropriate education, right? That we're getting them ready for the for those careers. Uh, so for us, uh, we have a, several different pathways uh, through aquaculture, agriculture, or uh, marine trades. Uh, and each one of our pathways uh, has industry partners that we work closely with to help influence the training of our students and uh, keep our curriculum relevant and responsive to industry need. Uh, so those pathways I mentioned, are that's kind of like the highlight of our school, right? That's really what sets us apart. Uh, so we have aquaculture life science. Uh, our students work in a fish production lab. They grow algae. They do lobster hatchery work. Uh, they do shellfish uh, oysters. Uh, they do Uh, large fin fish. uh, So they're getting that aquaculture production experience if that's the pathway they choose. Uh, The other sciences include the environmental underwater sciences where we partner with Connecticut Scuba Academy. Uh, That program really focuses on coastal ecology, restoration, and pairs with scientific and professional diving skill development. We offer biotechnology and genetics. Uh, We have veterinary science um, and vet technologies. We have plant science We have vessel operations, marine mechanics, ocean engineering, uh, vessel operations. So our kids can learn all these different careers as they go through. Uh, We really like them to explore as freshmen and sophomores, see all these different opportunities, and then they pick a pathway that becomes their concentration as their junior and senior year. And so they kind of hone in on that career path that's the best fit for them.
0: That's awesome, and it kind of gives. I mean, I'm sure it gives these students a great leg up in. The professional world, honestly, it even sounds like a lot of them would be able to just get hired doing stuff right out of high school if they wanted to, which is rare.
1: Uh, yeah, we, we have a mix. You know, um, about seventy percent of our students uh, going on to a, a four or two year college. Uh, so we we range from students going to Gateway to Ivy Leagues. We have students who go to trade schools specifically for uh, these kind of marine fields, like the Landing School in Iris in Maine, where they're working on uh, vessel construction and operation. Uh, we send a lot of kids to maritime academies as well. And others go directly into the workforce. Because a lot of people ask like, why build wooden boats? You know, at this point, uh, you know, how in demand is that? But it's not just about, you know, building the boats, it's those workplace skills that they develop along the way as well. Uh, and those are really, really valuable in the workplace after they graduate.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really easy to forget that high school's ma- – the main thing you, that high school matters for is how to be a person, right? And how to be an adult, how to study, how to live, how to work kind of thing. And I think that your school does a great mix of not only teaching some of those kind of human skills and adult skills as a high school should, but – I'm sure it's kind of easy for certain people to forget that it is just a high school because it's so technical and hands on in certain ways like that, that it feels almost like a college. In some ways,
1: yeah. Uh, kids get opportunities that a lot of other students wouldn't have until they go to college uh, after they graduate high school. and um, I know, like scientific diving. It, we're currently getting accredited with the American Academy of Underwater Sciences and in, in collaboration with Connecticut Scuba Academy. Uh, if that once that goes through, um, hopefully this summer we'll be the only uh, public high school in Connecticut offering that kind of training to students. Most of them won't be able to access those programs until college. Uh, same within our fish lab programs, our genetics, our vessel operations programs. You know, uh, these kids are are operating and captaining. Uh, you know, a fully licensed marine vessel, um, and it's a really exciting opportunity. It's opportunities. I look at my high school experience and wow, I wish I could have done some of the things. <laughs> Uh, these kids are doing. Uh, But I'm glad you mentioned that approach. Like that whole child um, is a really important philosophy at Sound School. Like we have like these four kind of keywords that kind of come up a lot. We try and keep our uh, curriculum engaging, authentic, meaningful, and transformative. And a big part of doing that is not just tracking grades. It's really looking at each individual student and helping them grow as a whole person.
0: That's wonderful. Uh, and a, and rare and like you said, it's one of those <laughs> jealousy moments. I think for most people, uh, how how I'll ask you. I don't know if you know this. How popular is the like Aqua Science High School like magnet in in, in the country? Is this something that you can find everywhere, or is it only in very specific places? Uh, They're growing a lot. Right. So Sound School would have been one of the first uh, schools of its
1: kind when it was founded back in uh, 1980s. And then in 1994, Um, there's another one in Bridgeport, Connecticut. So they're becoming more and more prevalent, especially along the east coast of the United States, down towards Florida, because we're starting to recognize the need and the value of aquaculture a lot more. Uh, Like Shellfish industry in Connecticut is a major contributor to our economy and to jobs. Uh, New Haven has a historic oyster industry. And those kind of aquaculture are going to become very important in feeding our populations moving forward.
0: Of course, I I don't know. I think about the concepts of having a charter school and having a theme charter school. Right.
1: I got to pause you there just to clarify terminology because we are not technically a charter school. We're a regional vocational. So it's it's a weird hybrid kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Super specific. (laughs) Yeah. So talk about. So then talk about the differences. What. Uh, classifies you in that way? What's the difference? So
1: New Haven has um, magnet schools as well that offer. So students from within New Haven and from surrounding districts can attend New Haven magnet schools. And it's just a full lottery based uh, entrance process. They're fully public, you know, funded as any other public school would be as a regional vocational center. uh, We are kind of half New Haven, half Connecticut. So we are part of New Haven public schools. Half of our students will come from New Haven. And then the other half of our students come from one of our cooperating districts. We have 23 towns that send students to the sound school. Every town has the right to send students to one of the regional either agriculture or aquaculture centers in the state so that every student, no matter what town they live in, can access that kind of hands-on ASTE education. Uh, So in that way, we are, are part of New Haven Public Schools, and through an agreement with the state, we are regionalized. Uh, so we are fully public funding, um, and and fully f- hit all the accreditations of every other uh, public high school.
0: Yeah. And so, so can so from what you said is to clarify, can students like can any student go to your school if they want to? Yes. Is there a number per year? Is there any sort of uh, you know back checks for that?
1: So th- there is a limitation on how many we can have, um, just because of our space, and right? we mm-hmm. we uh, on average have about 320 to 340 students a year, um, which is really nice too. Uh, One of the things that makes our programming so strong is our small class sizes. And and that's the nature of the requirement of our high hazard programming, right? There's only so many kids that can dive at a time. So many kids we can put in a shop, building a boat or operating a vessel on the water. But that also means uh, we really get to know our students. We can build those kind of personalized relationships. Uh, So we can only take so many students a year. The only metric for acceptance is interest in the program. Uh, the application process for any agriculture, aquaculture, science, technology center in Connecticut, is um, it's a common app, but that's all based on their interest in our programming. That is the only thing we can base admission on.
0: Have you ever had problems with too many applicants, or is it generally oh, yeah. like a manageable number?
1: Um, no, we, we usually have kids who end up on a waiting list. Uh, so we, we accept based on interest. Students decide whether or not they want to attend. Um, and so we always usually uh, most years have a waiting list to get into our programs.
0: I think that's good though. To keep students, it keeps students, it makes students very aware maybe a younger age than they'd be used to about the concepts of having the interest. I mean, everyone goes through it when they apply to colleges yeah. and I think it's unique to go through it in this country in high school. And honestly, that might be a good thing to say, Hey, if you want to be here, work really hard this year, <laughs> you'll get on next year kind of thing. You know? It's
1: also really interesting on that teacher side, because when I slid <laughs> into this kind of role, I was interviewing these prospective eighth graders who wanted to come in as as ninth graders and to like, to know themselves that well, to be able to conduct themselves professionally in those interviews, express their interests um, is is really impressive. Uh, And and that's a big part of it too. If they're going through that process, if they're showing us they want to be there, um, if they're willing to pick up and not go to their next step middle school, right? Or high school from their hometown and, and go someplace new where maybe they don't have any friends. Like there's a lot of courage Uh, that drives that decision Uh, but it also means it really helps reinforce our cultures like as a faculty most of us this was not our first career right we work in the fields we teach in before we transitioned into education so we come from that industry background and we've all chosen sound school and so have our students um, and I don't know if I would have had the courage to make that change, you know, as as a 14 year old, but they all choose sound school. And that really brings kids from a range of backgrounds, a range of locations, all choosing to be there, which brings them with that open mind and a willingness to connect with new people and collaborate. And so we really have this special um, relationship centered culture at sound school.
0: Beautifully said. Very clear. You obviously care as a, you know, educator, as someone that works with kids day in and day out. I want to hear more about your personal experiences. We haven't gotten into you at all yet. You're just some guy (laughs) on the street. So, um, what is your background industry-wise? What do you do at the sound school? Uh, what are your interests? Tell me about yourself. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh, so when I was in high school, I actually grew up in Connecticut. I grew up in North Haven. Uh, and at that time, the sound school, um, with, uh, one of its partners, Schooner, ran a summer program called Summer Sound Summer Exploring Aquaculture, and it targeted middle school students. And it was a big diversity push as well to try and integrate city and suburban kids. And I was lucky enough to participate that in that program, little 12-year-old Pete, you know, uh, spent three summers uh, as a camper at SSEA, two summers working there as a high schooler. And so I, it really planted that interest um, in me, that that seed that kind of grew into my whole career before I even At the time, I didn't realize it, but that love for the marine environment and for education surrounding it and that kind of outreach education. Um, At that point, I was bitten by the biology and the marine science bug. Uh, I went off to college, um, typical 18 year old. I'm never coming back to Connecticut. Uh, I went to college. uh, I went to Brandeis University, uh, studied uh, biology and environmental science there. Got, uh had a professor who blew my mind uh, with the idea of field biology and ecology, like concepts I hadn't really been exposed to in high school, um, and had some other really valuable formative experiences that got me into field work, as well as outreach education. I spent some summers working on a, a whale watch uh, with the woman there, uh, Cindy McInnes, who like, really inspired that piece bet- connection between education and conservation, and that ethic and morality surrounding that kind of science and conservation work. Uh, and so again, that education bug was kind of reinforced. And I spent a couple years working um, mainly in as a field technician and a biological research assistant. So I, I did two summers tagging sea turtles in Florida. I worked in the Caribbean for a field season uh, on sea turtles, got to work in Alaska, did some uh, whale behavior studies in Hawaii, which was like dream come true. And that's where I really thought I was going was on that research path. And, and at that point I was hit in my mid-20s and I kind of stepped back and it was like the part I was really falling in love with was sharing my love uh, for this research and understanding I was developing for the natural world with others. Uh, and so in those other jobs, there'd always been those little components and I, I was just got bit by that teaching bug a little bit. So I became a special ed tutor um, back in my old uh, high school at my alma mater. I coached um, to start working with kids more and I fell in love with it uh, I did an alternate route to certification program in Connecticut to pick up my teaching certification and started at the sound school the next year. Uh, and I've been teaching there for 13 years now, ultimately went back to get my master's in education. Uh, nice. But uh, at sound school, I've been a chemistry teacher uh, for many years. Um, I worked with a couple other teachers to start our environmental science program. And that's really the, where um, The most of my passion and energy has gone at the sound school. Uh, That program has grown into one of those pathways, environmental and underwater sciences, uh, all made possible with our industry collaboration with uh, Connecticut Scuba Academy. That's allowing us to bring those uh, professional dive certification training to our students. We can focus that curriculum on coastal ecology. They get to build those professional diving skills. And we started building um, an artificial oyster wreath as part of a restoration project in New Haven Harbor. And that's
0: uh, been a big part of what we've been up to the past three, four years. That's wonderful. And I want to get deeper into some of these pathways. So tell me what it's like for students in the environmental science pathway. What... They are expected to do what is how much of it student driven? What's the the in the classroom look like? What's the in the field look like? Uh, Walk me through a a bit of like the life of these students. There's a
1: phrase you use, student driven, and and that's key. Uh, A lot of what we do, even my pathway, I've learned from other people, you know, at Sound School who have been there longer than me. Um, This is year 13, and they've hired one person in the science department since I've been there, right? So, teachers, there's not a lot of turnover. People build their careers there. Uh, So it's always very student-driven, right? Instead of, um, like in the fish lab, they're willing to let the fish die because the students are responsible for those fish, right? That's part of the learning. Uh, My oyster restoration project is an entirely student-driven piece. Um, We were donated a mold to build reef balls. The kids had to learn how to build them. They came up with the plan to seed them with oysters, how to deploy them, how to monitor, right? They were responsible for every piece of that and the learning that kind of has to go along with it. So we're we're very task-driven, right? They get these responsibilities. Um, My current seniors uh, in our pathway, they are responsible for the monitoring efforts on this oyster reef. They have to come up with the protocols, they have to collect the data, analyze it, uh, do the background research support, developing those kind of research methods and things like that. So uh, we try and go in a lot where the different students have different interests so that they can focus on them and apply uh, those skills to the topics at hand in our different pathways.
0: That's great. Talk, um, I guess, if if you would, remind me again what the other two pathways are. You have the environmental science and the...
1: Visit our website to find more. That's cool. (laughs) Um, uh, We have a handful of pathways in both uh, the sciences and the technology. So um, aquaculture life sciences is our fish production, biotechnology, environmental and underwater sciences are our three main uh, aquaculture science programs. And then our marine trades and technologies, our vessel operations, so operating the vessels, the mechanics piece, keep them running, the construction piece, repairing and putting them together. And then we also have an ocean engineering program, uh, w- which focuses more on robotics and remote operated vehicles. Yeah. And we're hoping to collaborate with them as well. They build those robots and we want them to go collect some data on our oyster reefs. So uh, a lot of exciting work going on in all those
0: pathways. What are the more popular pathways for students? Obviously, it gets a pick. Do you, do you know the numbers there? Um, I, you know, I got to be honest. I think it's ends up being a fairly even spread.
1: Aquaculture um, tends to be one of our focuses. It's, it is kind of like the gem of our school is that fish lab that tends to attract a lot of students. That's probably our more popular one. Also one of our longest running. Uh, this is only my first group of seniors who have gone through my two-year environmental and underwater science pathway. So we're still a very new program. We hope this will be our first year getting that scientific diving accreditation. Uh, so, well, I've seen a lot. I'm hoping and continuing to see a lot of growth in that program too. Because once they start seeing their classmates
0: dive, you know, they're going to want to give it a try. You want to dive, of course. I love seeing the ones and twos. Uh, that's stuff you don't see a lot usually in high schools, maybe with foreign language. Mm-hmm. But generally, there's sometimes it's a math classes. But I really like seeing the education is not happening in a bubble. It's not happening in a, dude, with the water words today. It's not happening in a, like isolated space you have this stuff feeling this year directly is influenced next year or, or even it's a continue it's a two-year class like in this, like in colleges sometimes i think that's wonderful
1: yeah i, I agree like and, and a lot of times especially in public education where we get caught up uh, in this historic way of viewing the different programs and curriculums right each it one's its own little silo isolated from each other Um, And and Sound School really strives to break down those uh, divisions between classes to allow that kind of collaboration. And those two-year scopes and sequences really allow that. So like my juniors, uh, you know, they come in, they don't know how to scuba dive yet, potentially. We do run a ton of after-school programs as well. Uh, That's a whole other pitch I can give you. Uh, Most of our students are on campus after school, either scuba diving, rowing, sailing, uh, maintaining aquariums, maintaining our greenhouses. Uh, A bunch of stuff is happening. But so with those two-year junior-senior concentrators, um, as my juniors come in, they don't even know how to scuba dive yet. We teach them how to scuba dive. We introduce those coastal ecology concepts. They start understanding and contributing to the reef restoration project. They start developing research questions about them, which they carry into senior year to conduct the actual research, analyze the data, report their findings. So they start applying their understanding Uh, to their research projects as seniors. Uh, So there really is that continuation over two years. And it also means I get to know them. I I get to work with them closely as juniors, and then I become their senior advisor uh, when they pick my pathway for their senior year. Uh, So we're very focused on, you know, even what happens next, right? I've been with you for two years. Let's get you ready on that post-secondary plan. Uh, So I know all of our pathways, uh, we take a lot of pride in making sure every one of our students has a plan for when they graduate high school.
0: Well, it's something that stuck with me earlier, and I've talked about this in other episodes that I've done. Um, it's, for so long, so much of the science academically existed in a vacuum when you're in college. Like, there's that, mostly the concept of it's you're in academia, discussing science, looking at that kind of stuff. And you talked about how you kind of fell in love with field biology and how it was kind of a new world opened up to you. And that is a more, more recently we've started pairing, I think a lot more, the idea that you have to go out in the field and do work. You can't just talk about science and your school does that perfectly.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're lucky, you know, Um, and it also takes some courage, right? We, we, we're doing, uh, we're protected as an ASC school, but like, that means we're putting kids in situations where they get dirty. You know, like we have to challenge their comfort zone in that way. Like it's raining and we're going out there to sample mud on the marsh, you know, (laughs) like, um, but it also attracts kids who are ready for that experience and are going to learn about the different invertebrate because they got their hands in the mud and collected them.
0: Yeah. Do do you find, and this is obviously complete personal opinion. This is what I, I would assume. Do you find that you have on average a more mature high school student than you'd seen in other places. I know you haven't worked maybe in a bunch of different schools. That feels like they have to be, right? It feels like they kind of have to be very <laughs> adult to do this kind of stuff. I, I
1: mean, I got like, so I, um, sound school is the only place I've taught. I've been very, lucky. Yes. Right? this is 13 years of the same school, Not a lot of teachers, uh, get to have that, that blessed experience. And it, it is one of those places that if you, if you teach there, you're not going to want to leave. Right. Um, because of those, uh, relationships, the community that forms there, um, I'm hesitant to say more or less than other schools, sure, but I would absolutely highlight that as one of the proudest achievements as, as teachers and faculty and and the whole staff at sound school is, is that maturity of our students. I mm. mean, um, even like a parent um, recently com- commented on that because it, it's tough for parents too, to make that kind of, decisions for their child when they're in eighth grade Mm -hmm. and they're like mom i want to go to this marine science school but they're getting filled with all that same stuff we got filled with oh no they need to go to this school with all these ap classes and those and get a bpa because that's the only way they get into college and this mom was very candid with me and expressed like concern like that it wasn't going to be academically challenging enough because of that label that vocational schools have Mm -hmm. which is um Really not a good one. Right. Uh, And she was able to listen to her daughter to overcome that hesitancy, found that our school was just as academically competitive, even though we didn't have as many AP courses and some of those trackable items that most um, those metrics that really carry weight in the academic world in those um, that you mentioned. But she said, I don't know if my daughter would have grown into who she became, the confident young woman who was advocating for herself, able to take on these leadership roles, get involved in this kind of research if she hadn't gone to sound school. So she was very grateful um, that not only had it prepared her daughter academically, but she had seen that level of personal growth and maturity that she wasn't expecting and wouldn't have considered or wouldn't have expected from a traditional high school experience and really stood out to her that sound school prepared
0: and helped their child grow. It's one of those things where vocational schools sometimes get bad reps. And I I mean, if they're, I think with the school, the school you guys have, it's not, you know, like like, I think it's the idea of the labor school kind of grinds parents gears the wrong way sometimes, but you guys have a, if you want to get into this stuff, this feels like the best option for it. It's better than going to a high school that doesn't focus on this stuff ever at all. You know what I mean? And I think, quite frankly, the this is stuff that college bio students do in college. Like, this is what undergrad students do. You're just doing it at a high school level, but it's the same kind of concepts, the same um, opportunities, which is just extremely rare.
1: Yeah, th- that chance to apply what you learn about, what you talk about in the books uh, and I think it's so important to have these different schools of choice, um, you know, and options, right? If you're interested in marine science and you know how you learn best and it's through that hands-on approach and, and you know that's the kind of education you want or one you want to try, we we need to be here. You know, we also need those schools for art students who just know that's where their passions lie and want to be able to investigate mm-hmm. those options. So um, and these different magnets, I think, give a lot of flexibility and flexibility the more flexible the school is enabled able to implement the its curriculum, the more responsive it can be to the needs of its students.
0: It's all. I think it's a lot about a learning styles as well, where I think most, I mean, we've all been to high school. Anyone listening to this has been to high school. It's kind of about taking that experience and shaping it how you will to, to best fit your needs, but it is made for 99% of the population to go to. So it's not done like that. With your guys' school, you only, you take students that care about this stuff. So you can very specifically train it to like STEM minded people, to uh, people that want to work in the water, people that want to work in, in that environment, which I just think is very, I think it's necessary for more schools to do that, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot more schools, even like the traditional schools that we would would like to be able to do that. But a lot of teachers, a lot of administrators, a lot of schools are are handcuffed
0: um, by standardized requirements. I'm curious your opinions. As someone who works in a school that adheres to standardized requirements but doesn't um, adheres to standardized requirements but also has some of that leeway, do you think having uh, quote unquote loose rules is better or is it better to have schools across the country be able to do the same kind of work and make sure that everyone's getting a standard education? Like talk to me about the pros and cons there. So um,
1: I guess the word standardized can get a little because in education, we're talking about the standards, right? There's there's ultimately the learning goals, right? This is what we expect, the picture of a high school graduate. And it's a set of standards. It's not a set of test scores. Yes. However, we how we measure their growth against those standards is the thing I think is the biggest weakness, right? Um, one thing I'll very comfortably say is COVID-19 forced a lot of universities to let go of their SAT requirements, and I hope they don't bring them back. You know, um, th- Those kind of metrics... Um, that value put those kind of standardized testing performance uh, it, to me are overvalued in education, over influential, uh, and actually kind of can handicap, handicap right? Because then now we're teaching to a test, we're teaching to approve test scores because that's what the schools are based on, that's what graduation requirements are. Um, if we go after the actual standards, right? If we say this is the picture of the high school graduate, they should be able to do these things and we measure their growth against those things using performance tasks instead of standardized testing, I think we can help students grow. I think we can see a lot more growth and a lot more engagement in the educational process. So I think it's the standardization of assessments um, and how we determine what students have learned that we really have to reevaluate. And if schools were given that kind of flexibility to approach how we're going to teach those kids that standard, right, this science concept, we go after these concepts and those skills through marine science read trades, right? They build the boat and they learn how to measure and and do those kind of things. Other schools can go about those standards a different way. Uh, but if it's all going to be tested the same, that's where we get into to too much uniformity.
0: Yeah. there's just, there's so many different student needs. And even just because if you look at in college, there's so many different needs, those same children that are at the high school go to the same colleges. So the, the college like can get a lot more leeway, obviously, you know, each program major has its own way of doing things. I think high schools should similar. I think you hit the nail on the head with the value aspect. Tests are important, but how much value does the SAT have for every student? Maybe you know what I mean. Like it's it's it is a hyper generalized test. Yeah, and there's a lot of equity issues tied up in that.
1: And I I really think um, a lot of modern reforms in education. The vocational model has been doing a lot of those things, right? Responsive, mm-hmm. relevant learning, right? It's instead of abstract, it's applied. Yes. Uh, instead of detached from experience, it's part of a student's experience, relevant, authentic, right? How do we measure their learning? Performance task, right? This is what we want them to be able to do. We give them a challenge so they can demonstrate that skill. We don't test them in this remote, in this detached, inauthentic way. Uh, and so like that kind of model of education of hands-on authentic learning responsive to student need and interest is really at the heartbeat of vocational. Same thing with performance tasks. Like we, I don't care what my mechanics gets on the test. I want them to be able to put the engine back together. Right. So that's the metrics that are used instead of can you pass this standardized exam like every other student?
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm curious with some of these students. So I guess I want to ask if you could share a few stories from now graduated students, just so no one has any, why didn't you talk about me on the podcast that embody what the sound school is and whether it's the student growth or um, anything at all. If there's any students that you want to highlight or uh, stories you want to highlight, I guess, of that, 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 like showcase your school. I think
1: um, the 13 years in there's too many stories.
0: Um, uh,
1: I guess some of the stories um, just in general, like I am still in touch with alumni from 13 years ago. Um, you know, there, there is that kind of community that um, these kids keep coming back. I'm terrified for when I'll be teaching their children. Um, <laughs> like, but like the stories that kind of just immediately pop to mind are not like, the, oh, that kid had such great grades and went to Yale. Sure. We, we do send kids to Yale. I, I do remember one student who came as a freshman and it was one of the first year we had started this dive program. Uh, and this young man also had some disabilities that he was overcoming and he didn't know how to swim yet. And he wanted to scuba dive so bad. And he spent two years learning how to swim, building up the strengths of his hands to be able to use the equipment. He spent another year getting comfortable in the equipment, working with me and some of the other trainers, just as many times as he could get to the pool, just getting comfortable. And it took him until his senior year to get strong enough, to get confident enough, to get comfortable enough to take those first breaths underwater and go down all the way to the bottom of the deep end of the pool. And I will never forget doing that with that young man that day when he finally got down and had those first few breaths underwater. Uh, but that is always going to be one of those experiences. Now that we started the scuba program, their first breaths underwater, um, those faces, I will always remember just like the, the joy and the pride in what they're doing Um, There are four young men who have really helped me grow this program uh, who started as freshmen and got certified to dive and have been with me every step of the way. Um, They traveled to Bonaire with me. They traveled to Florida with me. They've built reef balls and gotten out there in one foot of visibility in the freezing cold to measure oysters with me me, and have really helped me build this program. Um, I'm confident that we wouldn't have grown into what we are, into an actual uh, two-year scope and sequence without their support. So I, I will always remember those, those four little freshmen who just wanted to try diving who just had such a passion for it. It kind of forced me to grow the program to, to you know, to meet their, meet what they wanted to do. Yeah. yeah and, and to see that potential for what it really was, I don't think I would have seen it without them.
0: I, uh, I think the first story highlights a really good issue. We did touch briefly on with equity and we talked about how a lot of the standardized learning since it's not tailored can Be so hard in schools like yours, be it regional vocation or charter magnet, whatever. All those schools, since there's a, a lower teacher student ratio, since you're dealing with specialized students in general, there's that ability to spend that time with those students on a, with any, with any, uh, whether it's an, an issue or just even a specialized interest, like those the students in your second story. Yeah, um, I think it's wonderful your school can do that, more.
1: and it just also just big push for teachers. Right? It shows what teachers and schools can do when the student-teacher ratio is right and then appropriate support staffs are provided. And that's even still a struggle for us. We're lucky. We're playing with a loaded deck, right? We have kids who want to be where they are and we have small enough numbers to meet the safety requirements. Right? Um, if all schools were given those same <laughs> those same tools, right? The same toys, the same teacher-student ratios, if teachers had the number of support staff and paras that they have asked for for years, our schools could do such amazing
0: things for these kids. Yeah. I, that's I'm, You're not going to hear any, uh, any right, complaints say me on no, that. Right? You're right. Like, completely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's, it's completely necessary to have, I think education is one of those things that should have incredible funding because it, it pays itself back like, like anything else. It pays itself. It's back. an investment in the economy. Really? You got, I, I yeah. look at
1: the biggest investment, like, important factor for the growth in the future of the country is investment in its education, especially public education. Um, I always like the bumper sticker that said, imagine if uh, schools had and students had everything they ever needed. And you know, the military had to do a bake sale for supplies. I mean, (laughs) obviously extreme. I don't want the military having to do that. (laughs) Right. I want them having everything they need. And I want us having everything they need. And I think this country is capable.
0: Yeah, no, I mean there's – and people talk all the time about the little things that we can do to, to raise a l- – it, it's small potatoes in terms of our national budget and it's huge in terms of the the change you could put in across the country.
1: Yeah, the ripple effect, the repercussions of, of investments in our school are enormous for our community.
0: Yes, I, uh, I want to ask, and I don't want to get into the politics of this at all, but I'm curious in terms of ethics, what do you guys teach about climate change and ethics? That's in general in school, in colleges has become such a huge thing now. Uh, it's one of, you know, back maybe 20, 30 years ago, if you were in classes specifically about ethics or climate change, you'd hear about it but it wasn't at the forefront of everything. And I think now it is and at, at least a collegiate level. So I'm curious in terms of what you guys do there. Honestly, I, I don't, if
1: I, if we didn't address climate change in class, I don't think the students would let me get away with that. Like, especially mm-hmm. this young generation, I have seen more and more activism, more and more drive every year. I have different students who usually focus on uh, climate activism as a capstone project um, and awareness. Like we've had climate strike days that my students have led. Um, it, it's, it's such an issue in the forefront of their minds because they aren't second guessing science. Um, They, they, and they are the ones who are going to be facing the consequences, right? They see the threat and they are frustrated by the lack of response because they know it's going to have an impact on them.
0: Yeah. I think that's wonderful. I'll I'll say um, I guess in general closing here, and as you have more, you want to speak on in terms of specificities, I would do want to ask, why should a parent send their child to sound school? Why should a parent make the decision to, to pursue the alternate education if their kid's interested in this kind of stuff?
1: Um, that's a great question. I, what, what's my elevator pitch? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean, the, easy, the easiest answer is come see what we do and talk to our kids and you'll be sold. Uh, if you can come because it's, you know, COVID, one thing. Uh, in one word, it's it's the relationships. That's why you should send your, your kid to sound school, because you know somebody is going to get to know them as an individual, to care for them as an individual, and to support their growth as an individual. They will forge meaningful relationships, not just with their peers, right, from different ethnic and uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, but they'll also forge meaningful relationships with their teachers, with the rest of the staff at the school, with the administrators, and with our industry professionals. And that personal growth that goes alongside that, the the growth mindset that the school embodies, the focus on the development of that whole child, like, and that idea of like, we, we strive to see these kids come into their own. And that's why you
0: should come to sound school. <laughs> for our non-Connecticut listeners, I'm curious why um, why are both vocational schools, and if you want to even be more specific for our Blue Earth podcast, why why are aquaculture schools important culturally, important for our future, um, not necessarily for their kids to go to, but in general?
1: Yeah, uh, culturally, um, not, aqua, not just aquaculture, even though aquaculture has been a part of the culture in the United States dating back to Native Americans uh, harvested sustainably, I should say, especially sustainably, harvested oysters for generations before colonists arrived here. So um, the marine life, uh, especially New England and the Northeast, there's such a maritime culture and tradition, there's such a food culture and tradition with seafood, and there's such an importance to maintaining, protecting, conserving those marine resources to continue to feed and protect our shores in the future as we face climate change. Uh, Aquaculture is gonna be a huge component to feeding our growing population, especially as we see changes in our uh, land use going forward. And it's also uh, a lot of important work in uh, coastal resiliency involving aquaculture, right? These oyster reefs and oyster uh, shellfish restoration efforts really help um, create barriers and support marshes and things that these green living shorelines that will help protect our coast from for future storms and storms and storm surges. Uh, so there, there's a lot of cultural history here uh, that we want to pay homage to and remain connected to, but there's an important need for aquaculture in our future, both in conservation, economics, and in feeding people.
0: It's wonderful. Um, I want to say thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, it's been great talking to you about some of these issues. If you want to plug any the Sound School website, if you want to plug any public facing, if it's social media or if you have any websites with your kind of stuff, is there anything you want to plug at all? Feel free to now.
1: Uh, yeah, our school's website, if you're interested, uh, if you're out there in Connecticut, uh, we, our applications are rolling. So you can apply to Sound School at any point. Uh, those applications are on our website. It's sound.school. You could also follow us on Facebook, uh, just Sound School on Facebook We and on Instagram. And we also have our dive club that I run has its own Facebook page, Sound School Dive Club. Well, you'll uh, see what our kids are up to with their dive training, all their adventures, as well as updates uh, and video
0: from our Oyster Reef restoration work. Perfect. Peter, thank you so much for coming on today. John, thank you so much for uh, having me. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Blue Earth Podcast. If you like what you saw, you can find us on Twitter at Blue Earth Podcast or Blue Earth Pod. You can always reach out to us in our email basket at blueearthpod at gmail.com. If you have questions, comments, someone you want to have us have on, contact link, anything like that. Um, And we post every single week. So until next week, I want to say thank you as always for listening. And remember that anyone can get involved and everybody has an obligation to do right by not only our oceans but our world. Thank you.